Have you always had your heart set on having your writing traditionally published, but you're noticing lately that there seem to be more roadblocks than ever before? Well, you might want to tune in to today's episode where I'm going to discuss what I think is a very compelling alternative to the traditional publishing model. Hello, and welcome to the Groovy Writer Podcast, where we explore how to find your writing groove, regardless of your circumstances. I'm your host, author and MFA instructor, Nicole McGinnis. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, and frankly, welcome back to me, because I have had quite a hiatus from the podcast. One of the reasons for that, one of the reasons I've been on hiatus, really for several weeks at least, I haven't actually looked at the last date, but it's been several weeks, I have been working on a project, and that project will be largely the subject of today's episode. And this episode might be a little bit scattered. I know that will not come as a huge surprise to those of you who have listened to more than one episode of this podcast, but the whole realm in which this project is happening and is placed is really quite new to me. And it's also quite eye-opening, brain-opening, brain-expanding. I'm learning so much about this topic. And I'll give you a little background information as to why that is the case. I'll give you some idea of what I've been learning and what my plans are moving forward. The long and the short of it is that I am basically setting out on the path of becoming what is known as a hybrid author. There are, for those of you who need a little background on this, there are traditionally published authors, which is what I've been. I have two novels traditionally published, um, both of them YA novels, young adult novels. The first one is Brianna on the Brink, which was published by a great publishing house um, called Holiday House. The rights a few years back, I was able to get those reverted to me. So right now, I am basically 100% owner of that book. My second book is 100 Days. And again, another YA novel that was published by Macmillan. And I've always considered myself to want to publish traditionally. I did publish traditionally. My experiences were both fantastic. I've discussed those in a little bit of detail here and there throughout the podcast. But something has changed. And it's not just with me. Something has changed in the industry. I'm definitely not the first person to notice this. I'm definitely not the first person to talk about this. But it's part of what makes this entire topic really interesting for me and just, I don't know, kind of mind-bending. So here's some backstory. And this is something I teach my MFA students on a regular basis. Publishing is slow. I mean, it really has always been known to move at sort of a glacial pace. That's just part of the deal. It's part of the model of traditional publishing. Some of the common steps to traditional publishing, and again, I've talked about these at length in some different episodes. Let's look at getting an agent. That's one of the big traditional steps in setting out on the road to traditional publication. You get an agent. That can take a long time. In my case, it took a few years of really going after it. That's really not uncommon. 
Um, for some writers, it takes a lot more. The reason you typically want to get an agent, uh, it can be likened to getting a real estate agent if you're selling your house. They tend to handle a lot of the stuff involved, the legal stuff and the business stuff, so that you have time to, in the case of selling a house, you have time to go to your job and hang out with your family and, and just do life without having to handle all the nuts and bolts of selling a house. The same is, you know, in, in broad terms, broad parallels true of getting an agent for a manuscript that you want to sell, especially traditionally because there are many editors at these big publishing houses. Now it's the big four because of mergers, acquisitions, etc. The big four well-known houses in New York City. A lot of those editors at those imprints, which are sort of the sub- how would we call it, like the sub-houses, the smaller houses under the umbrella of, say, Penguin Random House. There are lots of different imprints that specialize in different types of books. Many of those editors really won't even look at a manuscript that is unagented. So as an author, if you write a manuscript, there's a good chance you won't be able to get it into the hands of an editor to see if they might buy it and, and have that house publish it if you don't have an agent. So okay, getting an agent can take a long time. Then once you have an agent, from there... The process is typically the agent helps you hammer that manuscript into shape to a greater or lesser extent, depending on how editorial that agent is. I don't want to get into the details there. But again, that can take some time. That can take months sometimes. When the agent decides that the manuscript is ready to go out, the manuscript then typically goes out on submission. What that means is the agent is sending it to editors at publishing houses that the agent thinks will be interested in this manuscript. They think will be a good fit for the manuscript. Again, that can take a long time. I have had books out on submission for the better part of a year. I have had a book that was only out on submission for, oh, I want to say a week or less before it had multiple offers. And that was awesome. That was my novel 100 Days. And I currently have a YA manuscript out on submission that has been out since February, March, maybe so six-ish months. So Again, I say that to illustrate that typically, I think my situation with 100 Days was quite rare. It was delightful and it completely spoiled me, but it's really not typical. Typically, a book will be out on submission for months, a year, more than a year. Hopefully during that time, you are getting feedback from editors. Even if they pass, you've kind of gotten to a level. If you have an agent, the agent knows these editors, they've submitted this manuscript to editors, you've hopefully gotten to a point where you're hearing back one way or another. And uh, hopefully you get some helpful feedback from editors. I will say that the editors I have heard from over the years who have not bought my manuscripts have been, almost without fail, incredibly generous with their time. So I have gotten some feedback that has directly helped me to improve manuscripts, even if that editor had no intention of buying the book and stated that outright. So that can be kind of a neat part of the process, but again, very slow. Then people think, okay, I've I've crossed this hurdle or I've cleared this hurdle of getting an agent and then I've cleared the hurdle of getting the manuscript fine-tuned enough where my agent said, yes, let's go out on sub with this, which is sending it out on submission. And now my book is on sub and, you know, that'll take a few months, but then all will be great, right? Maybe if you sell a book, that's fantastic. But here's the thing, even after you sell a book that, by the way, may have taken you a year, two years to write, I know there are some very fast writers out there and my hat is off to you all. I am not one of those writers. I, I mean, for a decent sized manuscript, my minimum write time is going to be a year. 
and usually longer. It's just the pace at which I roll as a writer. Some of that has to do with having a full-time teaching career, raising kids for many of those years, and now I'm an empty nester. Hello, darlings, if you're listening to this episode, but I'm an empty nester. So my whole time thing is being restructured, which is kind of a cool thing. That's kind of one benefit of being an empty nester. But regardless, it's time from beginning a manuscript to having it out on submission, assuming you fill in all those steps of getting an agent, getting the manuscript ship shape and getting it out there. It can be years. Once a manuscript sells, hopefully it sells, there's no guarantee that it will, but hopefully it does. There can be anywhere from typically a year to 18 months. I've heard of authors where it's taken two years from the sale of a manuscript, otherwise known as acquisition, to seeing their book on the shelves of their local bookstore. I feel like I'm starting this episode off on this real, like, sort of a bummer of a note, but it's just, it was just sort of the entry point, so I'm going with it. Long and the short of it, there is no fast speedy, really super efficient way to get a book traditionally published out into the world. That timeline may be sped up a bit if you have a really, really clean, strong manuscript to start with, but there's still going to be the editing process with your editor. There's still going to be content editing, line editing, proofreading. There are several steps that are, again, built into the traditional publishing model. And let's face it, that model has worked really well for how many hundreds of years? I mean, it depends on what we consider to be the start of traditional publishing. But you can go back quite a ways, and it's been a pretty effective model, especially for readers. And business-wise, I think it's been a pretty effective model for publishers. And I have frankly felt just incredibly fortunate to have been traditionally published. It's still something I want to do, by the way. I'm not giving up on traditional publishing. But here's the thing. During the past year and a half, obviously a lot of things have gone a little wonky, have gone a little topsy-turvy. One of the things that has happened, and I, I really became keenly aware of this, not just over the transom, you know, through the grapevine of writers and editors, but because I did have a book out on submission, I did have this young adult manuscript out on submission. I was noticing that response times and things in general weren't just slow. I was pretty much used to that. I had trained myself to get used to that. And believe me, as a not super naturally patient person, that was quite an accomplishment. But I had train myself, look, probably won't hear anything for a while, no big deal. But things were moving at such a sluggish pace. And I would hear, you know, things are just extra slow right now. And then I'd get online and I'd see other authors and agents talking about this and editors talking about this. And it was basically everyone's stressed and burdened and we need to take more time. And I, I guess that's understandable. It's nothing that people weren't aware of that's been happening. But I found myself getting impatient and restless. And again, it wasn't impatient like, oh, why does publishing have to take so long? I made peace with that a long time ago. It was more of a restlessness of realizing that the entire fate of any book I wrote, and two of them have had great fates, but I have other manuscripts that that haven't yet gotten there. And a couple of those manuscripts 
I felt very, very strongly about. And I started to get this restless feeling of not only as a traditionally published author, which is really, I kind of had my blinders on. It's all I've really wanted to be as a writer. Not only are my manuscripts in the hands of a very small, very select and getting more and more select, as I mentioned earlier, with mergers of publishing houses, what used to be the big six, which was already a very narrow pool Um, of places to submit a book is now the big four. So that bottleneck is getting narrower and narrower, just almost it seems by the day. So the fate of my manuscript is in the hands of a very, very small number of people slash entities. And it's getting smaller. And not only is it getting smaller, but now it seems to, from my perspective, have ground almost to a halt as far as the bigger picture of the publishing industry, the bigger picture of publishing in general. And again, I had a manuscript out on submission. I actually, technically, I guess it is still out on submission. I have received some lovely feedback. Editors tend to be awesome people. They're readers, they love books, and they can be very generous with authors. So I've received some lovely feedback on it, but I just couldn't, I guess, get past this sort of gnawing sense of, restlessness. It was very, very interesting. And I did keep thinking, am I going back to having unrealistic expectations? And what I came down to is that thought that now it's a frustration at my own relative lack of agency as the creator of these manuscripts. Let's go back a few years. I want to say three, maybe four. I think it was about four. I I really haven't looked back to find the exact date. But about three or four years ago, I started working on a manuscript that was really a departure from the young adult manuscripts I had written for several years. It was more literary in nature, but really ultimately ended up being what would be considered commercial fiction or commercial women's fiction is really how I feel it is most strongly categorized. I loved this book. I really poured my heart and soul into this book. I didn't know what was going to happen with it. I knew I would send it to my agent, that it would go out on submission. And that's what happened. I spent a couple years writing the book. It was a just really came from a sort of a a deep place within. It was a very powerful book to write. And it went out on submission, very limited submission. So so what that means is it just goes out to some, you know, a handful of key editors and received some really good responses, but ultimately all passes. So it didn't sell. I ended up pulling that from submission, having my agent pull it from submission pretty early because based on some of the feedback we were getting, I thought, you know, I want to keep working on this and I I don't want to keep sending it out in the state it's in. I thought it was pretty strong, but editors were making some really good points. So I said, let's let's pull it. And then I wrote another manuscript, another uh, YA manuscript, which is the one that has been out on submission this year. And even though I pulled that book, the adult manuscript, it never really went away. It was sort of circulating in my subconscious. But then I was caught up in writing the next book and caught up in getting the next book edited and then out there on submission. And I think it was sort of a perfect storm of seeing this grind down over the past year or so, year and a half-ish, with traditional publishing and just feeling, I don't know, maybe an overall sense of disillusionment. Again, I remain a fan of traditional publishing. I never considered not traditional publishing. It just, for me, it really was what I saw as sort of the only way that I wanted to get my books into the hands of readers. And I will own the fact that some of that was the prestige of traditional publishing, okay? The sense that, hey, you've made it past the gatekeepers, your book is out in the marketplace, 
It has this support from the publishing house. That was a big part of it, but also, frankly, just the work involved, um, getting the book out there, the marketing, the distribution. This is what publishers do. And traditionally, no pun intended, they have been the masters at that. And so when I really started to get serious about publishing in the early 2000s, late 1990s, early 2000s, I honestly never considered any other way. And anytime I did have doubts about the process, and I, I've had many doubts over the years at various points for good reason, it's hard. Traditional publishing is hard. I tell my students this. I, I try to be very honest about my own path. It's not easy. I just happen to be, in certain ways, very stubborn and very headstrong when it comes to something that is very meaningful to me and that I really want to do. And publishing, since I was a kid, has been one of those things. So I just didn't quit. Just frankly, having that sort of stubborn attitude about it was a big part of why I was able to be traditionally published, because it's very tempting to quit. It can be hard on the ego, hard on on the energy levels, hard on your inspiration. There's rejection involved. It's a very hard gig, especially if you don't yet have some sort of thick skin developed. So anyway, traditional publishing was it for me. And when things would kind of nibble at me, maybe doubts or, hmm, is there another way? I would brush them off because I had a lot invested, still do. But really when I was actively only thinking of traditional publishing, I really did put those blinders on. That was a very conscious choice. But over the years, and especially just in this past year and a half, things have really started to chip away at my belief that traditional publishing is the only way to go. And I'm hardly the only author or the first author to come to that conclusion. But for me, it's been a big psychological shift. And it's one I think I'm, I'm kind of over it, but I'm still in it a little bit because it sort of blows my mind that I'm actually considering setting out on this path of, I would say, indie publishing. But because I have books traditionally published out there, I would be considered uh, what is known as a hybrid author. But basically setting out on this path of taking control back of the destiny of my manuscripts, increasing or completely owning agency in these manuscripts. And I, like I said, I have at least two with others in the works, um, two that are out there that have not been published. So I've basically just found it really hard because I believe in those manuscripts. I've found it really difficult to resist that siren call of indie publishing. Some of it might be age related. Some of it might be that I no longer have the sense of, you know, having something to prove. And again, I'm hardly the first traditionally published author to take a serious look at really what used to be considered by a lot of people as the Wild West, you know, the frontier of publishing. And not only am I not the first author, I think I'm actually pretty late to the game. So as I've been discovering, and this this gets back to a big part of my hiatus from the podcast, I have gotten into research lately about not just traditionally published authors who have gone indie or who have gone hybrid, but authors who have never traditionally published, who have been doing the indie thing for quite a while, the real pioneers who started this and really took a lot of flack. And those who stuck with it and those who learned and adapted and stayed nimble on that path, many of those have found great success. It turns out it's not just an acceptable model, this indie publishing, it is perhaps eclipsing traditional publishing. I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of quote unquote gatekeepers that people have more agency. When I'm referring to indie publishing, I'm not just talking about self-publishing. I'm talking about everything from self-publishing to smaller houses, regional presses, etc. There's more room for more authors. Now, downside of that, 
glut in the market, quality issues sometimes. And that's one of the biggies that's always really kept me from considering it is this reputation that indie publishing has had because of the lack of gatekeepers, people can publish whatever they want. So there's a lot of not so great stuff out there. And okay, that's true. So the question then becomes, how do you set yourself apart? How do you rise above? And again, for serious writers, and traditionally published writers, anyone who's who's had some experience in this field, you know the difference between a poor quality product and a high quality product. And it just means the onus is on you to ensure that your work is high quality. And of course, that is easier said than done. So this may be a little rambly, but I just wanted to start this conversation about indie publishing and that it's really exciting. And not only that, but there are so many independently published and hybrid authors out there who are incredibly generous with their own experiences, their own resources, their own information. That's another huge aspect of why I personally feel very drawn to this model. And we'll see how it goes. I'm really a newbie at it, but we'll see. But I feel very drawn to it. I think it's because there is the possibility for a huge range of voices on a huge range of topics, rather than certain projects being handpicked by a very, very select few. It's a big tent. It's a huge tent. It might even be an endless tent. In my research, one author I came across who I think phrased this whole appeal of indie really, really well is Chuck Wendig. I was actually on a panel with Chuck several years back, and he just seemed like an all around cool dude. He is someone who has found great success both in traditional publishing and in indie publishing. So he's a really strong example of a hybrid author. He has a website called Terrible Minds. And part of that website is his blog. And back in 2013, he wrote a blog post called What the Hell is a Hybrid Author Anyway? One quote that really, really stood out for me in that blog post was this, diversity is good in biology, in the people with which we surround ourselves, in investment portfolios, in pretty much everything. And so it is with writing and publishing. Diversity is a winner. Chuck being an incredibly prolific hybrid author, a New York Times bestseller, someone who I observed as being humble, really funny and approachable with his many fans at that festival. I really take that to heart, this idea of the big tent that is open to lots of different ideas, lots of different authors, um, lots of different topics. And I haven't really, I haven't really talked about that part of the publishing industry. But this idea of the open forum. And frankly, this idea of a meritocracy where projects, novels, nonfiction books, story collections, children's books, whatever it might be, in the indie model, in the hybrid model, those projects are going to sink or swim largely on their merits. A good book, I firmly believe, is going to find its readers and it's going to resonate with those readers. And there are many, many, many good books out there that never see the light of day largely because of the issues with traditional publishing that I've been talking about. This, And again, it's not sour grapes. I've really had to check myself with that. Like, am I getting sour grapes because things have slowed down so much more and that it doesn't seem to be as easy to sell my books? I'm really not. And as I said, I still plan to traditionally publish. But with some of these projects, especially ones that I'm well aware of some of the issues with a couple of these manuscripts that I am strongly considering, one I've already decided on, but strongly considering publishing independently, they tend to be a little quieter. 
you know, not big breakout flashbang blockbusters, right? They're a little quieter books, but I believe the quality is there. I've gotten professional editorial feedback that the quality is there. It means a lot, but I I can kind of get why a traditional publisher who has to choose very, very carefully the projects they take on might not take on, especially this one adult novel. But because I feel so strongly and passionately about it, it makes sense for me to go indie with it. Of course, then it's all on me. The marketing, the distribution, and just learning about this entire world. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode here. I did not think I would talk for this long about just sort of a general overview, but that's what happened. So I will be talking more about this on the podcast and hopefully in a little more organized fashion. There's already so much I've learned and a few things I've experienced in this new mindset of the indie slash hybrid author that I would love to share, but I'll do that in a later episode. Thanks for listening, you guys. And Let me just say in closing, if you are a writer who is feeling really, really frustrated at the current state of traditional publishing, even though that's your dream, hang in there. And if you want to just stick with traditional publishing, I think that's great. Do that. Also, though, maybe have a look at your alternatives, because as it turns out, even for those of us who can be stubborn and who can really lock in on one way to do things, some of those alternatives are pretty darn cool. And we all stand on the shoulders of giants. There are plenty of writers who have gone before and who are now helping those of us who are maybe a little late to the game, maybe a little slow to realize the possibilities that are out there. So more later. Thanks for being here. I'll catch you all soon. Thanks for listening to the Groovy Writer Podcast. You can find the podcast on most major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and others. You can also listen in on YouTube and on my website at NicoleMcInnes.com. Until next time, ride on, Groovy Writers. Ride on. <laughs>